blessing to be here, and we've heard this evening already that we can be a blessed people, but that song we just sang, if it's not the case for you, the mercy seat is still open. And so what a blessing that is to take care of whatever the issues are. Thank you for your devotional. Well, I guess it's time for children's meeting. Um, we said we're going to plan to have children's meeting this evening. I'm assuming come up here on these two benches and... We'll see if we can have something for the children. Good evening, boys and girls. Are you always that quiet? Good evening, boys and girls. Hey, that's Thank you. Um, I thought I would start out with a verse this evening, and it is Luke chapter 6, verses 38b. If some of you would like to follow along, you can. Luke chapter 6, verse 38b. I'll go ahead and read the whole verse. Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom, and the phrase I'd like for us to think about, for with the same measure ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And so, boys and girls, I don't think, maybe somebody can tell me what this is. What is it? That's correct. Now, I don't think, if you look in your concordance in your Bibles, I don't think you'll find boomerang. I don't think you'll find that in a Bible. But I think the principle of the boomerang you will find, and we just read that, which says, For with the same measure ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. To say that in simple language, the very same way that we treat others is the way they will re treat us in return. So we need to be careful um, how we treat others is how they will treat us in return. Now, it's my understanding that the boomerang was, was uh, developed or, uh, over in Australia. They, they uh, I'm trying to think of a word. Uh, somebody help me. Uh, when they brought, brought the boomerang to be, and they would take men, they would go out in the field, and they were really proficient with a boomerang and they would take the boomerang and they'd go and it would go out and they may it might be at a rabbit it might be at a small bird but you know what happens when you throw the boomerang right what does it do yeah it's supposed to and be careful it could hit you on the head right anyway um, they were really good in Australia. They, would, they were able to, to kill animals with them. It was not just a fun toy. They used it you know, to kill small animals and birds. And it would, they would throw it. And if they would miss, the boomerang would swing around and come back to them. And so this evening, I'd like to tell two short stories. Now these are older people. But I would like for you to tell me if you think these people were nice or nasty. You got that? Nice 
or nasty. This, this one is on a British Airways flight from Johannesburg, South Africa, a middle-aged lady found herself sitting next to a man of different ethnicity. And that means she was on an airplane and she was sitting beside some other man. Maybe he was black, maybe he was Indian, maybe he was from uh, another country, and she didn't like it. She called the cabin crew attendant over to complain about her seating. What seems to be the problem, madam? Asked the attendant. Can't you see who you set me beside? I can't possibly sit next to this disgusting human. Find me another seat. <laughs> Please, madam, calm down, the stewardess replied. The flight is very full today. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go check and see if we have any seats available in club or first class. The woman fashioned a snobbish look at the unfortunate scapegoat seated beside her, not to mention some of the other passengers. A few minutes later, the stewardess returned with the good news which she delivered to the lady who couldn't help but look at the people around her with a smug and self-satisfied grin. She, she thought she was pretty, pretty sharp. Madam, said the stewardess, unfortunately, as I suspected, economy is full. And I've spoken to the cabin services director, and club is also full. There is, however, one seat available in first class. Before the lady had a chance to answer, the stewardess continued, it is a most extraordinary to make this kind of an upgrade. However, I have had to get special permission from the captain. This one woman, she didn't like sitting beside this, this man that was different from her. So the stewardess went up and talked to the captain and said, what can we do? But given the circumstances, the captain felt that it was outrageous that somebody be forced to sit next to such an obnoxious person. With that, the stewardess turned to the man sitting next to the woman and said, So, if you'd like to get your things, sir, I have a seat ready for you. Maybe a little bit hard to understand, but the lady that was complaining really nasty, the stewardess talked to the to the man that was sitting beside him and said, you're welcome to come up to first class and left, left the lady that was grumbling there, left her on the seat where she was sitting. The surrounding passenger stood and gave a standing ovation while the man walked to the front of the plane. So, an interesting story. Does that sound like a boomerang? <laughs> that woman, was she nice or nasty? You tell me. She was nasty. She was. Did she get hit up by the side of the head with a, a boomerang? Not quite, but just about. <laughs> so that's one story of someone that her deeds came back just pretty much the way that she gave them out, right? I have one more story to read to you tonight. Maybe I should have chosen a story about children 
little children, but I didn't. But I think you can still get the, you can understand this story. A few years ago, a group of salesmen went to a regional sales convention in Chicago. And they assured their wives that they would be back in plenty of time for Friday evening supper. Well, such things go. One thing led to another, and the sales manager went on longer than anticipated, and the meeting ran overtime. Meetings do that sometimes, right? They get a little bit long. And their flights were scheduled to leave out of Chicago's O'Hare Airport. And these men, after their meeting, they got into the airport and they run down the corridor as fast as they could, trying to get to their plane. Have any of you all ever missed a flight? <laughs> we have to. And anyway, in their rush with tickets, tickets and briefcases, one of the salesmen, he inadvertently kicked over a table which held a display of a basket and apples went everywhere. They were trying to get to the to their flight so they wouldn't miss their flight home. And it's, they the man ran into this, this table and kicked over these baskets of apples. Without stopping to look back, all four of them, they managed to reach the plane in time for their nearly missed boarding. All but one. He paused and he took a deep breath. He experienced a twinge of compassion for the girl whose apple stand had been overturned. And he told his buddies, now you all, y'all go on ahead on your flight. I'll come on another flight. And he waved goodbye to them and told them to call his wife and said he'll be home on, a, on the next flight. Then he returned to the terminal where the apples were still all over the terminal floor. And he was glad he did. The 16-year-old girl that was running the stand was totally blind. She couldn't see. And they had knocked over all those apples. How was she going to get all those apples back on her stand? She was softly crying, tears running down her cheeks in frustration. At the same time, she was helplessly groping around trying to find these apples to get them back in the basket and get them back up on the stand. Many people didn't seem to care about her plight. And the salesman, he knelt, knelt on the floor with her and he gathered up the apples and he put them into the baskets and helped to set the display up one more time. As he did this, he noticed that many of the apples were battered and they were bruised. And these he set beside in another basket, the ones that were messed up and kind of bruised. And when he finished, he pulled out his wallet and he said to the girl, Here, please take this $20 for the damage that we did. And so he was sorry for what they had done, knocking over the apples. And he got help set them back up and the bad ones he gave her a $20 bill. You follow me? She nodded through her tears, and he continued on. I hope we didn't spoil your day too bad. And the salesman started to walk away. The bewildered blind girl called out to him, Hey, master, mister, hey, mister. He paused, and he turned back to look in those blind eyes. She continued, Are you Jesus? He stopped in mid-stride and he wondered, 
Then slowly he made his way to catch the later flight with that question burning in his mind. Are you Jesus? Do people mistake you and me for Jesus? To be so much like Jesus that people cannot tell the difference as we live and interact with a world that is blind to His love, to life and grace. If we claim to know Him, we should live, walk and act as He would. Knowing, he is more, knowing Him is more than simply quoting Scripture and going to church. It's actually living the Word as life unfolds day by day. So as you think about this story, the man who missed his flight, and he went back and helped set up the apples, was he a nice man or was he nasty? You. He was nice. So she said, are you Jesus? He kind of got hit with the boomerang too. But you know what? He was nice. And then he was treated nice and she said, are you Jesus? So... Y'all remember that. We have a choice. We need to be careful because it says, as you treat others is how they'll treat you in return. So when you throw a boomerang, think about that and remember that the way we treat other people is how they will treat us in return. Um, maybe we ought to sing a song together. I don't know what songs you know, but you know, um, Jesus wants me for a Sunday don't know that one? Well, let's learn it if you don't. And if y'all can't sing it, I'm going to get some help. Okay? Jesus wants me for a sunbeam to shine for Him each day. In every way try to please Him at home and at school and at play. A sunbeam, a sunbeam. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam, a sunbeam, a sunbeam. I'll be a sunbeam for Him. One more time, everybody. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam to shine for Him each day. In every way try to please Him at home and at school and sing with you, we'll forget the preaching. <laughs> anyway, thank you all. You've been a, a good class. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for this day you've given to us, and we know we confess that your word is truth. And you have told us, as we meet out actions to others, it will return to us. Help us to remember the principle of the boomerang and help us to be careful that when we relate to other people we are nice and we are not nasty. So Father bless these children. You created each one we pray to bless their parents and I pray Lord that these children will grow up to be men and women faithful and active in your kingdom and shining the light in this world uh, to the people around them. Lord bless them really really good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me go back to the parents. Thank you.
This evening, oh, let's see, we better do our verses. Um, if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and let's do our memory work together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Would you stand with me and say it together? Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, are are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I make mistakes too, I'm sorry. I should know it. You may be seated. Is there anybody here that would, would like to brave it? And like to say it? Anyone? I know it's early in the week and I won't, I won't put pressure on you to do that. But maybe later in the week somebody would like to. I'd like to give you that opportunity. This evening, I'd like to consider a very important topic, a very important subject. And that subject is a subject of submission. And I submit to you that submission is not a one-time thing. Submission is initial. It's imperative for the heathen to be submissive because of what it says in Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16, I think it is, where it says, six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. What's the first one? A proud look. A proud person will never bend the knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Submission is very important for the person in the world even. So they give their heart to the Lord. Submission is imperative for salvation. But brothers and sisters, how many of you would agree with me that submission is ongoing? I'll raise my hand. Thank you. I knew you would. Submission is important as we think about sanctification. Yes, you've come to Christ and He is your Lord, but isn't it true that there needs to be a continual ongoing matter of submission? It does for me and I'm assuming it does for you. The title of the message this evening is Not My Will, But Thine, Lord. I'd like to consider three different characters this evening who submitted their will to a higher authority. Number one, Abraham. Number two, Isaac. Number three, Jesus. And number four, you and me. Thinking about not my will, but thine, Lord. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, I'm sorry, Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed 
as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. You and I know this story well. And it took 25 years until this promise for a son was fulfilled. And you know how Sarah even tried to do what she could to help God. Uh, caused a lot of problem, didn't it? Uh, to have a, have a son in Ishmael. And you know that. I'm not going to turn that part of the story. You know that story well. But there was 25 years from the promise of the son till the birth of Isaac. That's a long time. That's a long time. And I don't know, I've said this over our, our pulpit at home, I think, and I, or I've told people, uh, we have a few couples in our congregation that cannot conceive. And for me, that's one of the most difficult things for me to address in a congregation if you have a godly couple that desires to raise God, godly seed and they can't, I don't know how to answer that to our congregation or to you. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, for we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I, I cannot explain it. And uh, anyway, I think it's a very difficult thing uh, when a couple desires to conceive and cannot. And we have that in this story. I would like to read uh, Genesis 22, verses 1 to 13, and we, as we think about the tremendous test that God asked of Abraham, or Abram. Genesis 22, verses 1 to 13, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, or He did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto the young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. That is a mouthful. We're going to go and worship and we're going to come back. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together and I wrote in my Bible, miserable trip. That's not scripture, but I think it was pretty miserable. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. It's a tremendous story that we read here of what God asked of Abraham. A very difficult, a very difficult thing that he asked. I believe Abraham's faithfulness in some of the earlier smaller tests prepared him for this great test that God was asking of him. Now I'd like to divert just a little bit uh, and share a story that was written or a reading that was written in 1996 by Marshall Quackenballs. Is there anybody here that knows Marshall Quackenballs? I'm sure that some of you are. Marshall Quackenballs wrote something. Evidently, he was going through a very difficult experience and he was dealing with something and I'm assuming God was asking him like Abraham to lay it on the altar. And I don't know what it is and I think it's probably good that we don't know so that you and so that I, that we can identify with story. God may ask something of you, something of me to lay on the altar. And I'd like to share that reading with you if you will allow me. It was a little paper, Life on the Island, dated May 5, 1996. And this account is how Marshall was identifying with the story that we have here in Genesis chapter 22. And it, it kind of goes from Abraham and then to Marshall's experience and then back to Abraham. And it, I'll try to delineate you know, those changes as we go along. The title of the writing is called Mountain Climbing. Done any mountain climbing lately? The thought of trekking up a mountainside has always been appealing to me. I enjoy gazing at all the surrounding mountains. Although they are not very tall, they still possess much grandeur. I have recently discovered one that imparts a peculiar beauty. And here it goes to Abraham. Abraham, yes, Lord, take your son, your only son, the one I promised you, whom you love, take him and go to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering unto me. Marshall, I recently had the privilege of climbing this same mountain. Talk about a hard climb. I thought I'd never make it. In fact, I came close to giving up and turning around. The ground was dry and barren. The sun was scorching hot. I saw no shade trees, nor heard any sounds of life. All I saw were thorns and brambles. Back to Abraham. Servants, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship, and we will return. What faith! Isaac said, Dad, here's the wood and the fire, but I think you forgot to bring the lamb for the sacrifice. 
No, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb. When they arrived at their rendezvous, Abraham built an altar. He arranged the wood and he called to Isaac his son, Son, come, let me tie you up and put you on the altar. God says that you are to be the lamb. But, but, but Dad, I, I thought... Okay, Father, I am willing. What submission? We're talking about submission tonight. Just as Abraham was about to thrust the knife through the heart of his cherished son, an angel stopped him and showed him a ram caught in the thicket. What provision! What joy! Well, back to Marshall. Well, I finally reached the top of my mountain, I was blue, I'm sorry. I was bruised and bleeding from stumbling over the rugged path. I began building my altar. I stalled for time, scanning the brush for my ram, but there was none to be found. I heard a voice say, "My son, I see that your altar is ready, but you haven't bound your Isaac yet." Father, I can't. My Isaac is too precious to me, and besides, you promised. Surely an unchanging God can't go back on His Word. My son, I gave my son so you might live. Okay, Lord, I'm ready, but I'm going to need your help to lay him on the altar. I'm not strong enough to do it alone. As I sat sharpening my knife, I strained my... Ears one last time, hoping to hear an entangled ram. All I heard was my inner groaning. Clutching that cruel instrument, I got to my feet and I stood in front of the altar. I raised the knife high above my head and closed my eyes. I do not know how long I stood there before the realization came that was either my Isaac or my God. Lord, I cried. I want you more than anything. I know that you have the power to bring my Isaac back to life if you choose. I give him to you. With that, I clenched my teeth in my determination and I plunged the knife deep into the heart of my precious Isaac. A peace unlike any that I have ever known flooded my soul. A strange joy filled my heart as I looked at my offering one last time. I knew my Lord was going to provide for me. My voice rang out with songs of praise as I walked down the mountain. For some reason, the way back down was smooth. I even saw some flyers along the path. When I arrived at the bottom, I realized that in my self-pity, I had completely missed the path on the way up the mountain. Oh, how sweet is the music of surrender. I gave my beloved Isaac back to the Lord to do with as he chooses. It makes no difference now, makes no difference now, for my Lord is my most treasured possession. Yes, it still hurts when I reflect on the joy that we had, my Isaac and I, but it cannot compare with the peace of knowing that the Lord is on my side. Dear brother and sister, if God is calling you to visit Mount Moriah, do not tarry. The strength, the peace, and the joy He provides will be worth the cost of the sacrifice. 
the Lord will provide. I found that a long time ago, but I found that was a very inspirational reading, and, and I will admit I do this sometimes at, at revivals pretty often. But I brought some copies of this along, and I laid, I don't have enough for all of you, but, but I laid a good number, 20, 25, back on the table. And if you would like to have a copy, you're welcome. You can make more copies if you want to. But I would just encourage you maybe to take it to your quiet time, to your study behind your closed door, and maybe read about mountain climbing and let the Lord speak to you. Maybe the Lord has something in your life that He's asking you to lay on the altar. Are you willing to lay your Isaac on the altar? So, do you have an Isaac that God is asking you to offer back to him? It could be money. It could be a career. Maybe it's an ability you have or something that you want to use for your own personal gratification. God has given you the gift, but he wants you to use it for his glory Abraham was asked to give something very precious to him as an offering to God, and that was his son. Abraham had the ability to resist. He had the ability to disobey God's will. But how did Abraham respond? Not my will, but thine, Lord. All right, I'd like to consider then the submission of Isaac. A beautiful, beautiful submission that we should take note of. Verses 7 to 9. Genesis 22, verses 7 to 9. We'll read again. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and bound his, Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Notice in verse 7 that Isaac was familiar in worshiping God. He knew what was required. In an, in an offering. He was also familiar with what yeah, was required as a, for, as a sacrifice to God. And hence the question, Behold the fire and the lamb, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham's request to his son seems unprecedented. Whoever heard of such a thing? And I'd like to just turn back to the, to the Old Testament and think about what God asked of Abraham and what he said in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 to 5. 
Leviticus chapter 20. This is the Old Testament law. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Again, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And I will set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from among the people, because he hath given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do any ways hide their eyes from, that, from the man when he giveth of his seed unto Molech and kill him not, then I will set my face against that man and I, against his family and will cut him off and all that go a-whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among the people. What is different about this story that we looked at this evening? God had said it's not right to take your seed and offer it to a foreign God. And God didn't ask that. God said to offer your son to me. It was not an offering to Molech. It was an offering to God. And Abraham, he did what he was asked to do. And he, he did not argue. But I am tremendously blessed as I think about Isaac to think about the surrender of Isaac. Isaac might have responded this way, whoever heard of such a thing? But Father, we've never worshipped God like this before. Pardon me, Father, but with all due respect, are you sure you didn't get a little too hot this afternoon? What was the age difference between Abraham and his dad? Well, we know the Bible just said, that he was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. It doesn't tell us where we are that I know of, but I'd like to think that Isaac was about 12. Is there anyone here, any father or any mother, a father and a mother that has one child and you have one son? Is there anybody here? Okay, that's okay. But can you imagine, place yourself in Abraham's sandals and think about the request of God to take one of your children and go and offer him like what God said. And like I say, I don't know who you reckon could run the fastest, Abraham or the lad. But you know what? Running was not involved because there was a son who respected the request of his father. I'm amazed at the tremendous trust that Isaac had for his father. In total submission to Abraham, his father, he surrendered his very life. And I submit to you that Isaac was asked to give up something very precious to him as an offering to God. Isaac had the ability to resist. He had the ability to defy and disobey his father. But how did he respond? Not my will, but thine, Lord. The submission of Jesus, number three, 
Turn with me to Matthew 26, 36 to 44. You know this account well. I'll move through it fairly quickly. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 44. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here, and I will go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will. I'm sorry. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and finding them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came again and found them asleep. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. I don't believe Jesus, the request of the Father, I don't believe that began in Gethsemane. I don't, I'm not going to turn to it, but Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 speaks of Jesus as being a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm blessed this evening to think about the Lord Jesus. I'm glad to think about the omniscience of the Father and how before the world was created, the, I don't know how you envision it, how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit sat down. And they said, you know, the world is not even created yet, but you know, we have, there's a problem coming. There's sin that's going to come on the earth, and we need a provision. And Jesus said, I'll go. I love those people. In the United States, I love those people in Virginia. I love those people... At South Boston, I'll go. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then we have this account again in Matthew 26. So I'm telling you, submission is not a one-time thing. Jesus modeled that beautifully. Long time before creation, he said, I'll go. And then he continued to commit, to focus, to carry, to carry out that. He continued to submit to the will of his Father. And I submit to you that Jesus was asked to offer something that was very precious in his life as an offering to the Father. And how did Jesus respond? Not my will, but thine, Lord. The submission of the Christian, you and me. Where are you tonight in this battle of submission? 
There is the initial call like we talked about. I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 11 because Brother Nathan talked about the two verses. We can be blessed. But in the, in the song that we sang, there's opportunity. If there's someone here tonight that is not blessed, does not have that peace of God in your heart, there is remedy. In Jesus, the door is open. Yet tonight, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, you know these verses well. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus stands with His arms open wide, inviting, come to Me, I'll give you rest. In essence, Jesus is saying, I'll forgive your sins. I'll restore your soul. I will carry your burdens. I will prove myself a friend. Oh, the blessed Lord Jesus. The submission of the Christian a call to submission in practical terms. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Maybe we think of children often from maybe 1 to 18. I don't know when we think a, person, a, a child passes from, from childhood to adulthood. But isn't it interesting, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 Somebody tell me what it says. Honor your father and mother. That's correct. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. How long does that last? I think it lasts a lifetime. And I think there are people in this congregation that might be 50, 60, 70 years old that are doing just this. They're submitting. They're honoring their father and their mother. And it's pleasing to God. What about church members? Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 37. And when He had called the people unto Him with His disciples also, He said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What does it mean to die to self? We're talking about dying to self. I found this little reading somewhere. I don't remember where or why, but I'd like to share it with you. It's titled, Dying to Self. And does this describe you? Does this reading describe me? Dying to self, when you are forgotten or neglected or purposely set at naught, and you don't sting and hurt with the insult or the oversight, but your heart is happy, being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, 
when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart, or even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any impunctuality, or any annoyance, when you stand face to face with waste, with extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any climate, any society, any raiment, only interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. And I will tell you, I think that is one that I struggle to surrender like I should. And I wonder sometimes if God does not bring interruption into our life to test us to see what we're made of and see, have we really died to self? How many of you, no, don't raise your hands. How many of you find that a challenge that you're going about your daily life and the things that you're doing and all of a sudden somebody has a need. It's an interruption that you weren't planning for. How's it go? Are you, am I, dying to self? When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or itch after commendations when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. And you know from reading Old Testament, that was a tremendous snare to the scribes and the Pharisees. The Bible says, I think it's in Matthew 24, 23, that all their works they do to what? Correct. All the works. They wanted the commendation. That's a big snare. We need to be careful about that. When you care to see your when you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met, and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy, nor question God while our own needs are far greater and in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising within your heart, that is dying to self. And I ask you, are you dead yet? How about you children? When father and mother ask you to do something that you would rather not do, how do you respond? To you youth, do you honor God and your parents and the church in the the things that you say, the music that you listen to, the places that you go, and with the friends that you keep. The Bible tells us that bad company corrupts good character. And I'm not suggesting it, but I'm just asking, especially for you youth, is there constant tension in the home? What about police, the laws of of the land? What about game laws? 
What about the rules and discipline of the church? Is there a constant tension and friction? Or is there a surrender and a submission? And only you can answer that question. Simon Schrock wrote in a book a long time ago, the church raises a standard, but a member or two don't feel like following. I don't agree with it, they say. The response is more like a colt than a lamb. Believers have shown more stubbornness to one another on small matters of discipline than Jesus did as He descended from His throne down into humanity. Young sisters have rebelled more of a few inches of hemline than Jesus did in going to the cross to die. And I think this is long enough to go. That's when the hemlines were going up and not down. I told you it was a long time ago. Brothers have, brethren have kicked up more over getting their own way with their haircuts than Jesus did in shedding His blood for your redemption. And very briefly, I don't think I'm going to turn to it. Um, yes, I think I will. I shouldn't apologize for reading Scripture, should I? Romans 13, 1-3. Thinking about submission. Romans chapter 13, verses 1-3. to Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that are, are ordained of God. Whoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same." thinking about surrendering to the civil authorities that God has placed over us. And if I would tell you, especially you younger ones, you youth, you children, one of the greatest things that you can do for your own life is to learn to surrender to mom and dad. And that sets you in a good place to surrender, submit to many of the other authorities that God will place in your life. And what a blessing when children honor father and mother and submit to um, what they ask. Submission to God's plan. Romans chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? or of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. And I don't know that there's someone here this evening that could be struggling. Maybe God, not maybe, God has a, a divine design, a divine plan for your life. It may be different than what you think, but it says here, should a soul reply and say, shall the thing formed to him that formed it, or God their creator? Why have you made me thus? And why are you leading me? I submit to you that there's no greater place of fulfillment and joy than inside God's will. And if God is asking something of you, maybe it's different from what you expected in life, and yet to, to resist that, you're going to bring on yourself a lot of struggle and heartache. Seek God. He is directing. 
Very briefly, God requested something very precious of Abraham. He requested a son. Abraham had the ability to defy God's request. Abraham chose to obey, and he responded, Not my will, but thine. Not only Abraham, but many others were blessed because of his obedience. Secondly, Isaac was asked to give up something that was very precious to him, and that was his life. Isaac had the ability to resist the will of his father. Isaac chose to obey. In essence, he said, not my will, but thine. And not only Isaac, but many others were blessed because of his obedience. Jesus was asked to give up something very precious to him. And it was also his life. Jesus chose to obey. And he responded, not my will, but thine, Lord. Not only Jesus, but many others were blessed by his obedience, continue to be blessed. The Christian is asked to give up something that's very precious to them. And that's our will. You and I have the ability to resist, to defy, and to disobey our Father. But we can also choose to obey Not my will, but thine, Lord. Not only ourselves, but many others will be blessed if we respond in submission to God's call and will in our life. Is there anyone here tonight that feel like God has been speaking to you? There could be some that have come to the age of accountability And you know that there's not peace in your heart. There's that tension. And you know God is speaking to you and He is opening His arms and saying, come, I'll give you rest. We'd like to give you that opportunity. And maybe there's someone here tonight that has backslidden or they feel like their life is cold and uh, they would like to renew their commitment to Jesus Christ. We'd like to give you that opportunity. I'd like to, the song leader to lead us in one or two verses of song. And if you feel God has spoken to you, you can raise your hand. You can come forward. Somebody would be glad to pray with you. I won't uh, delay long. i give you an opportunity. Uh, just remember, like I said last night, there's no doorknob on the outside of your heart. Jesus is asking you to open the door and respond to His loving call. What shall we sing?
Thank you. Once again, you were a very good audience this evening. I want to thank you for that. Like I said last evening, uh, make sure your passports are up to date. Make sure you get tickets tomorrow evening. We'd like to fly over to Israel and uh, take a look at the cross uh, there at Golgotha. We invite you back for that tomorrow evening. Thank you for coming out and uh, come back tomorrow evening and see what we can learn from God's Word. May God bless you. Shall we stand? Our Father, we thank you for your Word, and we know that there are terrific and wonderful examples as we look into your Word, and we thank you for Abraham, we thank you for Isaac, most of all, we thank you for Jesus, who was willing to come to follow the will of the Father and ultimately to give his life's blood. Father, help us to know what it means to submit, to be submissive to you, not only once at our conversion, but Lord, we pray that you would sanctify us, our hearts and our lives, that each one of us would be changing into the image of the Son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.